We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's Wednesday. I'm your host, James Anderson. We're brought to you, as always, by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax. And my guest this week is Dylan White, uh, who has been on the show before, but not since he uh, landed with Baseball America. And so big congrats to Dylan. Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Started at the end of January at Baseball America, kind of rolling out their fantasy arm. They uh, they want to branch out a bit more. So Jeff and I have been uh, pumping away at Dynasty ranks and and uh, all sorts of Dynasty stuff. Yeah, really, really happy for you. I mean, that's you you deserve as as big of a platform as you can get. And uh, love love the direction Jeff's taking things over at BA and uh, the fantasy side of things. Obviously, they they've always you guys have always done. Uh, fantastic work on the the non-fantasy side but um excited to participate in the uh big thing at, at the end of the month and uh hopping on a baseball america podcast with you tonight so um lots of fun stuff happening over there yes indeed the fantasy summit that's the that's the big thing that you're talking about the ba fantasy yes. summit's february 25th february 25th yes right. <laughs> I'm, I'm obligated to say that <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to be doing a really fun uh, sort of segment with Chris Clegg uh, on sort of how to build a, a dynasty roster. Really looking forward to that um, and really appreciate uh, the invite. Uh, so I wanted to have you on to kind of talk just sort of dynasty uh, targets. Um, it is sort of still kind of full on dynasty season for for you and I. Uh Obviously, first year player draft season. I uh, have a lot of my, you know, all my first year player draft content is up on the site. Uh, I have a first year player draft underway right now on Fantrax, uh, one of our one of our great sponsors. And I was hoping to make that pick during the show, but I don't know if that's going to happen. This is for the uh, the Highlander. But uh, you mentioned to me, uh, you know, before when we were kind of planning the show, that you've done some research on kind of the value of high first-year player draft picks uh, from recent history in your dynasty leagues. And I was really interested to kind of see what you uncovered there. Yeah, I was uh, I was trying to, to figure out what the value of these first-round picks are worth. Um, 
obviously it's a small sample size. I'm only in like three leagues. Um, and I've struggled actually trying to figure out how to present this in a compelling way for the listeners. Cause um, you know, you'll hear a lot of names, you'll hear a lot of numbers, but uh, so basically what I did was I, I took 2020, 2021, 2022, the last three FYPDs of my three leagues, my three main dynasty leagues I'm in. There are 15 teamers, 20 teamers, BA on some, and some are OBP. <clears throat> but I kind of aggregated um, the picks to figure out what the top 15 is. I just call 15 for the first round. Um, and then I tried to see using Chris Clegg, shout out to Chris Clegg for the ADP, uh, the mock startups that he just did recently. Um, having the ADP. So you can see, hey, how did Spencer Torgelson, who we drafted in 2021 as generally the first pick overall, how what's he valued at? And so I kind of tried to figure out what the value of each pick was. Um, because they're so different, um, like I said, I was struggling with how to present it, but here it goes. I'm going to give it a shot. So I'm going to, I actually going to, I think it's important if I, I list these names just so you can kind of remember the context. So I'm going to be, I'm going to read like 45 names here, but I think it may be helpful. But if it's not, cut me off. So in 2020, so 2020, the first, the first picks, my aggregate first 15, the first round were Jason Dominguez, CJ Abrams, Andrew Vaughn, Adley Rutschman, Bobby Witt Jr., Corbin Carroll, obviously great picks there, Riley Green, Eric Pena, JJ Bleday. Hunter Bishop, Maximo Acosta, Robert Poisson, Luis Rodriguez, Greg Jones, and Josh Young. So obviously Adley, Bobby Witt, Corbin Carroll are like top 50 values, top 100 for sure. Andrew Vaughn, CJ Abrams, Jason Dominguez are up there as well, but then there are obviously some busts. Um, I'll get into this later. But so 2021, just to remind you as well, was Spencer Torkelson number one, Austin Martin number two, Nick Gonzalez number three, Wilman Diaz four. Zach Veen, Hassong Kim, Max Meyer, Garrett Mitchell, Christian Hernandez, Asa Lacey, Emerson Hancock, Carlos Colmenares, Pete Crow Armstrong, Robert Hassel, and then Austin Hendrick. So not as strong a class. Uh, at least we didn't draft as strong a class in the first round. Um, and then as your eyes start glazing over, here's 2022 last year. Seiya Suzuki was number one in my leagues. Marcelo Mayer was number two. Khalil Watson, three. Brady House, four. Jordan Lawler, Henry Davis, Jack Leiter, Colton Kowser, Matt McLean at number nine. Harry Ford at 10. James Triantos, Trey Sweeney, Benny Montgomery, Jackson Job, Sal Freilich. So a, a bit of a mix. It's too early to kind of to tell what's happening. So I was trying to figure out how, how, how can I look at these and what can I what kind of conclusions can I make? Um, I think the best way I did it was I took the first six picks. Um, so that would be 18 picks. And I took the median value um, of that ADP because the reason I did I wanted six and I wanted the median is because we did take Rutschman and we did take Bobby Witt and we did take Corbin Carroll but they were picks four, five, and six rather than one, two, three. And so I just wanted to kind of jumble saying, are we good at picking in the first six picks around? So the median uh, ADP for the top six in the last three years was 215 to 220 per the Chris Clegg ADPs. So that is like Cattell Marte, Trevor Rogers, kind of giving you an idea. that So half of the picks are better than that and half the picks are worse than that. But that's a good kind of idea of, of what the first six picks in a in an FYPD are worth. The rest, picks seven through 15, 
is the median is like outside the top 650. They are basically half of them are not even drafted two, three years later, one year later, or some have some value. So again, I don't know what I'm concluding out of this. I do think we are good at picking in the first six, like I get the general consensus where most people, you know, focus on the, on the FYPD lists and rankings. We're pretty good. Um, and then it kind of trails off. And this is not to say that anything after pick 15 is bad um, because Alec Manoa, George Kirby, there's all sorts of guys that are, are being picked in our, huge values um it's just in that first round where i guess most of the people think um the values are like i think most people would rather have a first round than like a second and a third i think that's my experience um you know maybe it's not worth it unless it's in the in the first six i think that's my conclusion it's not really a conclusion but that's kind of my my supposition yeah uh definitely kind of makes you think um i one big challenge, obviously, with this is that, you know, you're not you're not guaranteed the same kind of talent each year, right? Like sure. you're going to have your and you may not know which years are going to be the good years. I think a lot of people think this is one of the good years, uh, kind of like that that Wit, uh, Rutschman, Carroll class. Uh, so, but there's also other years where you know, we kind of have a suspicion, maybe it's a, a pitcher heavy class. Uh, we might have a suspicion that it's not going to be that great of a year. So it is, it is challenging to sort of, and obviously you, you mentioned at the top, it's, it's tough because you're only working with, you know, a small amount of data in terms of amount of leagues, uh, a small amount of data in terms of how far we're going back here. Uh, but I think that, that, that definitely, it checks out that, you know, the hit rate on a first year player draft pick in the first round, even, even, you know, you mentioned those hits, but a lot of those were outside of the top three, even there's, there's busts inside the top three. Uh, so, I mean, the, the bust rate, I think in the first round of first year player draft is higher than a lot of people would care to acknowledge. Uh, but that also um, is your only chance, you know, if we, if we look at like the top, anyone sort of top 20, top 30, top 40, 50 dynasty rankings, a lot of the very best hitters are from the international market, especially the very top of our dynasty rankings. Uh, but the ones that aren't from the international market, in many cases, you had to take them in the top 15 to 20 of a first year player draft. So that might be your only opportunity to get a Bobby Witt or an Adley Rutschman caliber building block in your dynasty league, knowing going in that your odds may be low of getting that player, but it is also your only chance of really getting that player unless you trade for them after the fact. Yeah. I, I think everything you said there is correct. Like obviously it depends on the quality of the class. Like I went back to 2019. I didn't use it in the analysis. Um, because I was only in one league back then, but like the first five picks were Yusei Kikuchi, Casey Mize, Trevor Larnick, Jonathan India, Jared Kellenick. And then there's Victor Victor Mesa, there's Xavier Edwards, Joey Bart, Jordan Adams, Grant Levine, Nico Horner, which is pretty good, Nick Madrigal. So, I mean, obviously it depends. It's, I'm kind of cherry picking. Um, I know sometimes that's the best way to quickly rebuild. Um 
if you, you get your Bobby Witts, your Adley Rutschmans, your Corbin Carroll, George Kirby, because you've accumulated picks during a rebuild, like I think that's a it is a way to to build. But like you said, you kind of you kind of got to be careful. Don't expect that you're gonna you know restock with you know ten top two hundred talents uh, one year later. Yeah, and you you referenced the uh, the ADP that Chris Clegg uh, has over at uh, Dynasty Dugout his his Substack. Um, I think the the idea of sort of rebuilding it's you you definitely obviously want to rebuild with young players, but I definitely don't think anyone's rebuild strategy should be I'm gonna get a bunch of eighteen year olds and nineteen year olds, many of whom haven't played professionally yet, and that's gonna be sort of the focus of my rebuild uh what you what you want to be doing, I think, is focusing on the 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds, 25-year-olds who are close to the majors, have maybe even debuted already, um, but maybe didn't have the most amazing results. And they're, they're sort of pre-prime, close to being big league ready or already big league ready. I want a bunch of those guys that I like that I think can improve their stock. And then, of course, you do want to supplement that in, in a rebuild with just a, a big time young talent like a you know Jackson Holiday or something like that or Drew Jones if you can get your hands on them that's that's not something you should shy away from if you're rebuilding but I don't think you want to just have a bunch of teenagers on your roster and say that that's that's your plan for your rebuild 100 percent I like I think a, a common misconception is what you're saying. Just take a lot of young people or get a lot of draft picks or whatever. I think the best way to increase or improve your, your dynasty team is to get, and it's very easy to say, but it's to get assets that increase in value later. So it's exactly like you said, you, you find the distressed assets, the buy lows, like a Jared Kellenick or even like Dylan Carlson is kind of on, on that, on that bubble. People who have a chance whose value is tanked in quotes, Spencer Torkelson, but who could go up instead of getting a first round pick or I want to take Jackson Merrill, like you get these things that have a better chance of increasing in value. Another thing, and this is a Brian Slack, shout out to Brian Slack strategy that he always talks about the up and down the ladder is teams tend to, if they're rebuilding, they trade all their old guys for young guys. And what that does is it restricts your trading partners because now all you have are young guys. So you can't trade with the the guys uh, who are competing that year because they don't want your young guys. They want the Max Scherzers or the, you know, the, the older guys that could contribute that year. So he talks about this up and down the ladder, which is always, even if it doesn't fit your quote unquote philosophy, if you're rebuilding, you can still trade for older guys. You can still trade for guys whose value will increase that year in season or even for next year because that opens up your your availability of trading partners because now you can trade with the guys who are competing and guys who are who are tanking because you just have more assets that are that are more popular with your league mates if that makes sense. Yeah, and you got to obviously factor in if you're an active trader or not. Uh, for sure, you know, like if you you definitely want to factor that in if you're someone who's constantly wheeling and dealing, but uh, I'm not a very active trader at all in Dynasty, and so uh, I don't really factor that in a ton um, because I just I'm not. I know that I'm not going to be spending the time trying to flip that veteran while his value has sort of peaked. Like that's just not something I 
was planning on spending time doing that season. Um, but if that is, is one of your strengths, obviously that's, that's definitely a good call. And especially if you're someone like Brian Slack, who might be uh, really good at, at pinpointing those guys uh, before the season starts, um, you know, that's certainly uh, an advantage. Uh, do you have any, when, when's your first, first year player draft start? Have you, have you done any yet? My first one is Sunday, and then my uh, my other two are the weekend after. I've done a mock for the for BA. Uh, an article we did was an FYPD mock uh, with some of the staff there, um, but I have not actually been in the trenches drafting yet. Nice. Uh, the the Highlander. Um, this is, we call this the off season draft. I'm I'm picking tenth, and we're six picks in so far. And so this is uh, obviously not, it's not going to be very first year player draft player heavy at all, really compared to a lot of dynasty leagues, I think, because it was, it is an open universe league. So um, the only people eligible for this draft were people who were not on rosters um, at kind of the, the cutoff date for adding those guys. So the first six picks in the Highlander, I'll, we'll call it a first-year player draft, even though it is sort of not really that. Uh, but uh, Masataka Yoshida was first overall. Jackson Holiday second overall. Zach Neto, third overall. Cam Collier, fourth overall. Um, Yoshinobu Yamamoto was fifth overall. Uh, again, it is an open universe league. And then Alex Lang was sixth overall. So just a, kind of a... <laughs> <laughs> a hodgepodge of, of players who are available. Uh, and I'm up in in four picks, and I am hoping for Cooper Jerpy at 10. Uh, but I have, a, I have a bunch of other solid options. But um, there's my first-year player draft update for everyone. Uh, <laughs> Is it, are you going to talk about Masataka Yoshida later in this podcast? Uh, I, I was going to let you do that if you wanted to. Huh. Uh, I I, you know, I talked a decent amount about him uh, last week with, with Rob Silver. So, hmm. And then I did talk about him with Tim McLeod also earlier. So I, okay. I, I'll let you bring him up if, if you want to. But uh, this is a, you know, this league, it's so, um, it skews towards the big, big leaguers who are getting playing time um, and even more so like an outfielder in the big leagues who is playing close to every day, like Yoshida projects to is, is hard to find in this league. I'm looking at the best outfielders available by just fan tracks is sort of default sorting. And it's Trace Thompson, Kike Hernandez, Adam Frazier, Robbie Grossman. So, you know, you compare Yoshida to those guys and it's, it's easy to see why uh, Jesse Roche went with him and, you know, he, he could flip him, he could keep him, but um, definitely a big gap between him and the, the next best available uh, big league outfielder. Jackson Holiday was also sort of like the, the clear best prospect available. Um, but in this league, the guys that are three, four years away uh, don't carry as much value because you can lose them um, in the offseason drafts if, if you don't protect them. Um, so just it's going to be interesting. Um, I am very hitting heavy in this league, so uh, part of the reason I'm looking for Jerpy. And you mentioned uh, 
you mentioned like Alec Manoa and George Kirby earlier. Uh, that is sort of my favorite type of player to go after in, in first year player drafts is the the college pitcher who I think has maybe more better safety and better upside than maybe people are factoring in. And you could get that guy in a lot of these first year player drafts in the twenties in the thirties. Uh, uh, and so I think that that is one of the big values of the first year player draft is trying to get like a, a college pitching prospect. You really like uh, outside of these sort of premium picks. Um, I think that's a, it's a decent sort of area to try to get okay return on your investment. All right. Uh, I'm going to head to a quick message from our sponsors and then Dylan and I are going to go position by position and give you guys some targets, uh, trade targets, startup dynasty targets, but just some, some dynasty targets uh, that we think are a little undervalued. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The fantasy baseball season is underway, and there's no better place to play than Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has MLB Best Ball tournaments live, including the Dinger, which has 500K in total prizes. In Best Ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex each week of the regular season. Getting started is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com. 
Sign up with the promo code RWMLB, and not only will Underdog double your initial deposit up to $100, but you'll also get six months of RotoWire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWMLB. Draft your 100K Dinger team today. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. So Fantrax can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed, if you're just kind of sick of playing on some outdated site that hasn't updated anything in years and has a really shallow player pool. Uh, if you're looking to, to move your league over to Fantrax, that's easy. Uh, they, you know, the player pool is pretty intense. Uh, as, as I referenced earlier, uh, we've got guys who are still in Japan getting drafted in the, the Highlander Dynasty Invitational because of how wide their player pool is. Um, it's just, it's, it's a great place to have your Dynasty Leagues, great place to have your Keeper Leagues. Uh, the draft room's great, uh, works well on, on your PC or your phone. Um, I, I really can't recommend it enough, especially for those Dynasty and Keeper Leagues. Uh, sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Simply go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X.com slash Rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. All right, so we're back. Uh, we're going to go through position by position, and Dylan, I, Dylan and I are going to give uh, some players that we think are undervalued in Dynasty Leagues right now, uh, guys that maybe you want to trade for, guys who we think might slip further than they should if you're doing a dynasty startup draft. And uh, we will probably have some occasional references to, to Chris Clegg's uh, dynasty ADP, which uh, was a lot of fun to help him kind of build that out. Uh, I think he did 18 different dynasty mock drafts to generate that ADP. So a very valuable resource that, that again, is over at his Substack uh, dynasty dugout. Uh, so Dylan, we're going to start at the catcher position here. Uh, only one name stood out to me, um, but I'm still going to let you go first. And if you take him, then I'll just kind of piggyback on whatever you say. But uh, who who stands out to you as a maybe undervalued catcher in Dynasty Leagues right now? Surprisingly, my answer is Francisco Alvarez. I know he's he's well loved, um, rightly so. I, obviously, they're good options, especially in the younger sort of prospect um, bunch, like Logan O'Hoppy, Andy Rodriguez, Edgar Cuero, that type of thing. Um, sorry if I said your guy's name, um, but I think Francisco Alvarez is undervalued. I think um, I, I do these prime projections. Uh, I, I did it for BA when we released our fantasy top 100 and he has like a, a prime projection of like a WRC plus of 130. Uh, he has like 30 home run power um, for 600 plate appearances. Like it's just, it's very good. <laughs> He's very young. He'll be in the majors this year. Maybe he won't be dominating this year, but I, I have him. If you sort of extrapolate his expected stats over the next three years, etc., I have him as like the number two, value uh in dynasty and especially in obp he's actually uh he's even better so looking at the clegg box um he was the 11th catcher taken 
And since I have him second, I think I had to say he's undervalued. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Either the ADP is is way too low or you're way too high or probably that maybe some combination. Um, Yeah. I mean, I definitely buy the like peak Francisco Alvarez hitting 30 homers a season at catcher uh, by that hundred percent. Like, I think that that's a very, very fair projection. Uh, you know, how, how much, what's your, what's your projection for his sort of peak uh, OBP and peak batting averages? Uh, I think his, I, I don't have it in front of me, but his, his batting averages are like, you know, 260, 265. Um, and the, the OBP I think was around like 360 in a peak sometimes you'll be higher sometimes you'll be lower but that's kind of like the the centering for when he's like age 27 28 he'll be around there gotcha um yeah i think i'm 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 you know 20 points maybe lower 15 points lower in batting average it would be my kind of uh adjustment i guess to those projections uh from alvarez i just i don't know i know he hits the ball super super hard uh but he's he's just gonna be one of the worst athletes in in the big leagues as soon as he gets there. Uh, I mean, he's gonna have to just really be a monster, I think, to to hit for that high of a batting average, uh, which is which is possible. But part of the reason I'm I'm lower on him than most people is I just I think he's gonna be kind of a classic big power doesn't hit doesn't kill your batting average doesn't help your batting average type of catcher and it seems like there's a decent amount of those guys now compared to what there were five six years ago um so that's that's interesting i didn't i didn't expect you to go with the prospect there but uh but yeah you're you're really high on alvarez um my my pick is don't have to spend a ton of time on him because i've probably talked about him a decent amount already this this offseason but my pick is uh Danny Jansen uh who I think it was one of the Clegg mocks maybe but um I remember taking like Will Smith I love in, in some dynasty mock I did this offseason I was just in love with that the value I got Will Smith on in, in my mind um like sixth or seventh round something like that but then I remember Danny Jansen went like 20 rounds later or something like that. <laughs> and I just really regretted taking Smith where I did because of uh, how good of a value I thought Jansen went for. And uh, I just, I don't see any reason why he should have a lower, he's got a lower ADP uh, than eight catching prospects. Um, you know, these are guys that just don't have any kind of a floor really. Uh, You don't know when you're going to be able to count on them for playing time. So um, they're fine if you're rebuilding, but I can't imagine taking eight catching prospects over Danny Jansen, who's been just a a monster on a per plate appearance basis for, you know, calendar year, uh, more than a calendar year really. And so the, the main knock with him is just, well, how many plate appearances are you getting? Uh, but I think it's 
it's more likely to me that Danny Jansen is not just extremely brittle and will be able to get you, uh, you know, hundred games a year uh, than it is that there should be eight catching prospects going ahead of him. Um, so I, I just think Jansen is a, you can get him for, for next to nothing. I think in a lot of dynasty leagues right now. And um, I mean, he's got a lower, I think he's got a lower dynasty ADP among catchers um, like significantly lower than he does a redraft ADP among catchers and he's not even old. Uh, so I just, I think he's, people are really sleeping on Danny Jansen. Yeah. I think that's an artifact of, earlier in the season uh, when the Jays had Gabriel Moreno as an option too. And so who's going to get all the pl- the playing time and especially in the dynasty who will get all the playing times, probably Moreno over Jansen long-term. Um, and then, so ADPs may have reflected that. And that's kind of just a residual artifact of that, that people are forgetting that, you know, he's going to be him and Kirk are going to be the two main catchers, probably not Varsho. Um, and they, the Jays really like Danny Jansen's defense, how he calls a game, his contact quality is so good. So, yeah, I, I like that call for sure. So we'll head over to first base. And uh, there's one guy that I I think you might pick as your target. Um, so I will – I'm actually not going to say him yet in, in, unless you don't pick him. Uh but I did just want to quickly mention, and this isn't that useful to people, but I think Vlad Guerrero and Pete Alonso are being pretty undervalued, at least according to this ADP. And, you know, you're not getting undervalued by dozens of picks when you're going in the, the top 20. But uh, Vlad Guerrero, his min pick in these 18 mock drafts was six. And I have him as a top five guy for Dynasty. So in none of the 18 leagues did he get valued as a top five guy. So I think he is undervalued. And then Alonzo, I just, those are the types of guys I want to build with in dynasty. I like the guys, like the perfect guy to just have for eight years is if you can kind of get in on Freddie Freeman early or Nolan Arenado early, or just one of those types of guys, where it's just monster four category production every year set it and forget it and then you get your speed a little later um so i, I think vlad and alonzo are a little underrated but uh that might not be that useful for people listening uh but who is who's your pick so uh, you probably no surprise i pick kyle manzard out here um, <laughs> <laughs> i was actually going to say rowdy telez in my article that we dropped on ba um, I had him as my target, but I thought that would be, uh, you know, you're you're too high of a rowdy guy, so I didn't want to <laughs> be too nice. So I went with Manzardo. Um, obviously, when I was on before, I talked about him. Um, really like the skills, the stack has stuff, all that. I just think recently he's actually had some cold water pouring on him. Um, some of these uh, yeah. prospect lists have dropped him down. Like I have him in like top 20. Uh, just to be conservative. Um, and some of these lists have them in like the back half of the hundreds. And I think that that is kind of shifting the market slightly, yep. the perception. And so I think now's a chance to kind of take advantage of this little dip and, and grab them. Um, one thing, which I'll be talking about later too, that I've been looking at um, with StackS data is how a player, a prospect does against fastballs and then how he does against everything else um i haven't finished my research but like the premise is like maybe the like kellenic adele all these guys we think they're so great 
on the surface because they're just crushing fastballs, but they struggle with breaking balls and it's kind of masked by the, the sort of the aggregate number. And so I've been looking at sort of the separation of the two. So Manzardo is actually has a better X Woba against breaking stuff, like non fastballs, breaking stuff and changeups. Um, it's like 459 compared to like 430 uh, X So like there's no, the reason I look at that is like, are there flaws in the hitters profile that could be exploited by, you know, major league pitchers? Um, I don't see flaws. He barrels up so well, his launch angles are good when he hits it hard. It's at the, it's not on the ground. Uh, this is obviously in, in broad strokes. Um, he's not susceptible to the, the hard fastballs. He's not susceptible to splits, really. He's not susceptible to breaking stuff. So it's just like just a solid package all around. Um, I know that the Rays have their the way they, they play their roster. There's Aranda, there's Mead, there's all sorts of mouths to feed. So that may obviously cause some hiccups maybe in getting the full-time playing time, but I just really think he's going to transcend that and get at least, you know, 450 or more plate appearances per year. And it's just going to be a solid, like you say, set it and forget it. It may not be like the Freeman and, and Vlad type numbers, but they're just going to be solid across the board. Yeah, that's definitely the hope. I, while while you were um, making those points, I went back and looked at the, uh, the BA dynasty mock that uh, we'll be talking about uh, tonight. And uh, I got Manzardo there as the, just by my quick kind of counting, as the 23rd prospect off the board, uh, pick 157. So, yeah, I think I think you're 100% right that there is sort of a, you know, everyone was loving Manzardo when all the fantasy lists were coming out and he was sort of top 10, top 15, and now the real life lists are coming out and he's ranked where most first base prospects get ranked on those lists, like most good first base prospects. And so I think people are, you know, if, if you were just sort of drafting Manzardo or valuing Manzardo as by sort of appealing to authority, but you weren't really sold yourself on him, I think people are maybe losing confidence. So that's a great time to try to get a guy in dynasty if the person rostering them might be sort of questioning whether or not they're as good as they thought they were. So I like that call. Uh, my call is actually Josh Naylor. Um, and a guy I talked about a lot this off season. Uh, just, you know, he kind of has, he's basically got the same dynasty ADP as redraft ADP. And I just don't really get it. Like he's, he's young. Uh, his, I think his best years are ahead of him. I think his team context, lineup context, all great. So uh, not really sure why people are hesitant to, to grab Naylor uh, in Dynasty. Uh, he was going behind guys like Spencer Torkelson, Ty France, CJ Crone, Josh Bell. Uh, I would take Naylor over all those guys very easily. Um, so that, that's my pick at first base. Um, all right. Second base. I've got three guys here. I don't feel that strongly about which one I'm going to go with. So again, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you first. Uh, so I went with someone who's not yet at second base, not yet eligible. Um, that's Miguel Vargas. They, uh, it sounds like they're going to work him out there. Um, I like Miguel Vargas. Same thing with this the Manzardo talk that his he's kind of dropped down on some of these real life lists. I totally get it. 
He's not the greatest defensively. There's no real home for him. Will it be left field? Will it be third base? Will it be second base? Um, his exit velocities aren't the greatest, but it's just a just a solid professional package. He's going to have high batting averages. He's going to have high OBPs. He was already in the majors. Um, he's going to probably hit at the top of the lineup of the Dodgers for a while. Um, looking at the projections and and how those project out. Um, he just kind of looks like Glaber Torres or Dansby Swanson, like 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases, solid batting average, good counting stats. And then he's younger, obviously, than them. So it's like if you can get a 23 year old Glaber Torres, I think I would I would take that. So I think he's being under under drafted currently. And so I, I have him as my target. Nice. Yeah. Love Vargas. And I like that you went with sort of um, realistic uh, comps there on him to make your point because I think uh, too often people, you know, say a prospect's ranked 10th or 12th or 15th, someone might compare him to someone like Glaber Torres who isn't seen as this crazy high upside guy. And it's sort of that's the case for not drafting them. But to your point, if you can just get if you can just get all of Glaber Torres's prime years on your dynasty team, that's awesome. And, you know, not every pick has to be a home run. Yeah, no, exactly. And even Glaber Torres now is like the eighth second baseman being drafted. So it's not like he's, he's a zero or a nobody, like he's a valuable young asset that, that accumulates production for you. So if you can get in early on that, get it. Right. Right. Exactly. And you've got Vargas ready to help he can help a, a contending team or a rebuilding team. So he's someone that should have uh, wide appeal. Uh, I'm going to go with sort of a, uh, who am I going to go with? All right. I'm going to, I'm just going to go with, stay with prospects here. Uh, Curtis Mead. Uh, how high are you on Curtis Mead, Dylan? Uh, I'm pretty high. He, uh, him and Manzardo are actually very kind of, very close they have similar everything so yeah and and i'm i'm going with Mead at second base i know in uh you know i think in fan tracks he might be third base eligible only uh i think he played more at third base and second base in the minors last year but i expect him to eventually be sort of second base dh uh just don't know if he's got the arm for third uh, but really what he is, is he's just, he's a hitter. Um, I don't think he's as bad defensively as Jonathan Aranda. Um, so I think he just, none of the guys that are kind of there are going to stand in his way. And I know people have made sort of really lazy comparisons to sort of past raise guys who have failed uh, or maybe not produced right away and they're, their values got down because of that. But there's, I mean, there's basically nothing that Curtis Mead and Josh Lowe or Curtis Mead and Vidal Brujan have in common other than just the team they're on. Uh, they just don't, they don't have similar skills at all, really. Uh, so I think Mead is just a, a very safe hitter. And kind of like we were talking about with Miguel Vargas, Gleyber Torres is that sort of the comp, like, you know, if, if Curtis Mead is just, um, you know, a guy who hits for a pretty high average and hits 
20 to 25 homers and doesn't come out of the lineup, maybe that's not a guy who's getting taken in the second round of redraft leagues in his peak years, but I think he could just be a guy who's taken in the top 100 of redraft leagues for his entire prime. And so that's, that's very valuable. Yeah. On our, our BA top 100 for fantasy, Jeff convinced me that that Mead is actually probably higher than Manzardo. And so we actually have him higher than Manzardo. And you know, I love Manzardo. <laughs> that, that must've been hard for you. <laughs> I'm still getting over it. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a nice kind of paradox because the, the edge Mead has is the ETA, uh, like, I don't even think Manzardo's a lock to debut this year. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't be drafting him in draft and hold leagues, really, uh, where he's going. But Mead, I do kind of want to see how his – I will be watching Mead here over the next month um, to kind of see if he's able to throw, if his, if his, uh, I think his forearm is fine. Because there were some sort of signs towards the end of last year that I think he, I think he got an injection in it. So I don't think we're 100% out of the woods with Mead in terms of avoiding um, sort of something that needs surgery there. But uh, skills-wise, I've, I don't really question it. And if he, if he is healthy, he will be up this year. Okay, third base. Uh, I'm ready to go first now. Um, and this one is – this is a guy who's going very high. Uh, but it's, it's someone I'm very confident on uh, – that, that he should be going even higher. And that's Austin Riley. Um, his ADP and, and Chris Clegg's um, mock ADP uh, was, what was it? 15th? Yeah, 15th. Uh, I think I have him ranked sixth or seventh. Um, like, I think, I think Austin Riley is just, that's, that's a, as safe as it gets as a building block in Dynasty. He's three years younger than Otani and Alonzo. He's five years younger than Judge, J-Ram, and Machado. He's a year younger and in a better lineup than Devers. Uh, and I would take him over all those guys. And I know that that's not a, a common opinion, but I just I don't think people are properly pricing Riley for Dynasty. Um, when you factor in not only how high the floor is, but how high the ceiling is. And the fact that you're getting this guy who to me is kind of a, he's a top 20 player in redraft already, but you're getting probably the best. I mean, you can count last year as one of the best years of his career, but you might be getting three of his four prime years uh, in these next three to four years. So I, I just think Riley, uh, I know he's valued very highly, but I don't think he's valued nearly highly enough. Yeah, no, I love Riley too. Um, he crushes every type of pitch as well. Like it's not just he's a fastball guy and you can get him with breaking stuff down in a way or anything like that. It's just everything's crushed. So I always like that. Great. Uh, <laughs> love that. Love that we're on the same page there. Um, who's your Who's your guy? So I went with a prospect. Um, I don't have him on any of my rosters, so I'm going to regret bigging him up. But a junior Caminero, um, he, you know, there's there's a couple of young guys that have appeared on a on pretty much all the lists that have popped out, um, like Miguel Blaze, for example. But just Caminero, I've always liked. Uh, we loved what Jackson Churio did 
at low A uh, at the age of 18. Caminero actually had better contact, a higher 90th percentile X velocity, velocity and chased less uh, than Churio. The same age, same level, albeit 117 plate appearances, um, as opposed to sort of the the bulk of the season for Churio. So, I mean, the stuff underneath is there. He's crushing in, in winter ball right now. Um he looking at that how does he do against hard stuff how does he do against soft stuff he there's not that much of a discrepancy there he's above the average for both um just solid <laughs> exit velocities and contact everything you want in a hitter um so i i pick camonero yeah I, you know i love camonero <laughs> uh he's someone i have on i uh, don't know if i'm on every dynasty team but I'm pretty close to that uh it's just, it's sort of a with with Caminero. It's sort of how how do you value him? Like where, what caliber of prospect who's maybe a year or two closer to the majors are you trading to get him? I think it's it's hard to see. This is like why he will fail. Um, it's it's hard to see a red flag like that with him. But it's just sort of he's far enough away from the majors that something could go wrong. So where do you have him valued just among prospects? Uh, we have him in the top, uh, well, he's definitely in the top 100. I think he's like 60. Um, and like he easily can be in the top 10 quickly. It's like we're trying to balance like near term and like, everything you're saying, like the proximity, what can go wrong. Like his peaks look like 30 home runs yeah. and just like a, a slugger, like a, an Austin Riley type guy. Um, so it's just that won't happen for seven years or whatever. So <laughs> what, what, what do you value him? Like, like you said, so yeah, we, I, I really like him. I'm going to mention another guy later too, who's sort of in the same boat. Yeah. And if you're going, if you're going to try to make a play for Caminero, uh, make sure it's in a dynasty league that you feel pretty good about the sustainability of it. Um, so shortstop, uh, I had like, I had a couple either wars that I wanted to throw at you. Um, and they sort of tie into two guys that I think are undervalued. Uh, so first one is who would you rather have in dynasty uh, Anthony Volpe or Jeremy Pena? Uh, I'd say Volpe. You would. I think so. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm Pena and I'd, I'd feel really good about it if I could make that trade if I was the Volpe uh, person. Um, but I, I do think – I don't know if Pena – so with Pena, I don't actually think he's that undervalued by ADP, but I did notice that he was just back-to-back in Clegg's ADP with Volpe, and to me that's an awesome opportunity to kind of cash out for a really safe option there. Um, but – Make the make the case for Volpe because I'm I'm being li- labeled as like a Volpe hater uh, by Yankee fans because I have him ranked 15th, um, even though I'm probably higher than most rankings they're comparing my Volpe ranking to on Oswald Peraza. I don't hate the Yankees, but uh, make the case for for Volpe over Pena. Yeah, I think Peraza versus Volpe and Glaber still there, um, so that adds some questions about like who's going to survive that and maybe Volpe won't. His year was a bit down from the year before, but all the underlying was very similar. 
I still think he's a 2020 guy. I still think he's going to have like 340 OBP minimums, whereas Pena is, you know, like he's at like 300 right now. Um, so I just think this the extra speed that Volpe has. Um, and yeah, I, I just think Volpe's kind of a solid package. I think he's going to, he's going to play him and Peraza are going to play. Glaber may, may be traded. Um so I I just don't see the risks to Volpe as 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 high as others do. Of of course there is risk. Obviously Pena is doing it. He did it on the big stage as well. Um, but I just think I just think it's the the extra speed in the OBP. Um, I mean they are. I, I don't mind that they're back to back. To be honest, in the ADP because I can see both both sides of that argument. I just I think I lead Volpe. Yeah, and the the OBP factor is is definitely big. Like, um, it's a it's a slam dunk for Pena for me over Volpe in batting average leagues, but Volpe uh, probably has the better uh, long term OBP. But I do think it's very. I think Pena is a very challenging player for projection systems because of his career arc where a lot of the best work he did was not being tracked by was not being recorded statistically because of the pandemic and uh, his injury that that caused him to be kind of a late return in 2021. Uh, So like, if you go back to pre 2021, you have to go back all the way to 2019 when he was in a ball and uh, he was, uh, you know, a great OBP guy in the lower levels, but it was just, you know, what are you going to read into that? Like a 21 year old in, in a ball. So uh, I think Pena, I think Pena might have more upside um, to kind of improve quickly at some of his deficiencies from last season than uh, might appear in, in like the projections. Um, but I, I, I can buy the, the OBP uh, both be being better there. Uh, my other quick, question for you was uh Ezekiel Tovar or Royce Lewis in Dynasty Ugh. Uh, I love Tovar I do think he'll be like a, a 25 15 guy uh in Colorado the good defense as well Royce's numbers like his projections and all that are better but it's like the easy low-hanging fruit of saying the injury history um I think I think I, I'd go Tovar there Nice. I love it. We, we disagree on both of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's easy call for me, Lewis over Tovar in dynasty. Um, and I noticed they were back to back in the, in the ADP as well. Um, but, uh, we've been delaying, uh, your call for who the best value is at, at shortstop. I've kind of rambled on with my, uh, either ors there. Well, I don't know if this is the best value. Um, I actually struggled with this one cause I think, uh, I think Royce Lewis is actually a good value because I think he is being downgraded a lot because of the injury. Um, his his projections over a, a number of years is are, is actually excellent, one of the top five. So uh, that's a good one. Um, but I went with someone after your heart as well, uh, Eric Brown Jr. Oh man, wow! I uh, yeah, it's just we had him. 31st on our FYPD list. So that's back a second round. Um, I don't think he's 
incredible. But he, I think he has a very good shot at at exceeding that expected production. He's just so athletic. He looks like he can get 30 stolen bases. Um, his contact quality is great. Uh, and just the athleticism and the tools will just like, I feel he has a great shot at, at uh, really exploding. Um, so yeah, I just went with Eric Brown Jr. I just think he's, I know that he, he was a popular trendy name after the draft as like someone to get early in FYPDs and stuff. And then I think it's kind of, he's kind of sagged a bit. And I just think that, uh, you know, maybe I should boost him back up again. Yeah. And uh, that ties right back into our first year player draft conversation from earlier. I mean, that's, that's not a guy that you need to take in the top 15 of your first year player draft. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if you, if you kind of operate, I, I don't know if you specifically said to do this, but um, if I were listening, what I would have taken from what you said earlier is let's say I'm picking ninth or 10th in my first year player draft. Maybe I should look and see if I could turn that into uh, two picks in the sort of 20 to 40 range. And if you were to make that type of move, Brown could be an option for one of those picks. Exactly. Okay. Uh, outfield target. You go first. This time. Okay. So, I will probably regret this too because I have a couple trade offers involving this player <laughs> in my inbox right now. Um, but probably my favorite prospect right now is Samuel Zavala of the San Diego Padres. So mm-hmm. he, like I said, Miguel Blaise and, and Junior Caminero, him, Zavala is like the third member of that sort of young guys who are far away but are still in top 100s. It's just, I just like everything about him. He last year on Robo Scout, um, he was like the number one DSL guy. This year, he was he was the youngest to be in in low A. Just a couple weeks after he turned eighteen, and I, the way I compared Caminero and Churio, like add Zavala to that, and Zavala is even better. He had higher exit velocities. He's younger. Um, he crushes uh, hard stuff. His his soft stuff. He's not as great. Um, I did look at see how he did against uh, like 93 miles an hour or faster or, or harder. And he, he didn't have that many opportunities. Um, so it's a small sample size, but he did like Churio just crushes that. So I'm not saying he's better than Churio, but all the underlying is as good as Churio and he's a year younger. I have him as a 30 home run bat in the corner. Um, he's kind of the Padres best prospect now. And so they're going to, they're going to shepherd him along and, and, kind of curate him to be their, you know, their next big star in five years, four years. Um, so yeah, Samuel Zavala is my guy. Who would you, if you could only acquire one of them this off season, would you go for Caminero or Zavala? I think I'd go Zavala. Oh, wow. Yeah. How is the, uh, what's your exit velocity data say on Caminero versus Zavala? All right, let's see here. I know. I mean, Caminero. I think most people know Caminero is a, a monster um, for his age, in terms of how hard he hits the ball. Yeah, his ninetieth is is like two standard deviations above uh, the average for the level. Uh, that's Caminero. Um, Zavala is a bit lower, but he's a year younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, where are we here? He's yeah, he's about just just over average. Uh, uh, half a standard deviation above average. 
but against breaking stuff and hard stuff. So that thing after my own heart where he crushes everything <laughs> doesn't really have a, have a flaw yet. All right. Uh, I'm going to give one outfielder that I really like who had a top 100 uh, dynasty dugout ADP and one who was outside of the top outside of the top 350. So should I go with the, the high guy or the low guy first? Uh, go with the go with the high guy first. All right, Brian Reynolds. Um, I think he's a borderline top fifty guy for Dynasty. I just think the skills are really stable. They're gonna trade him at some point. It's gonna be better for him. Uh, just another guy, kind of. You know, he's not on that level of like a. Riley or Alonzo, like type of guys I'd want to take in the first or second round of a dynasty startup. But I think getting Reynolds as your second outfielder or even your first outfielder in a dynasty startup is really solid. You're just giving yourself all the, all the stats, you know, maybe not double just at steals, but uh, he's going to fill up uh, everything else. And I really think like, I think we're looking back, we'll look back on 2022, as a time when you could have actually bought a little low, even though it was a good season for him. Uh, and then my my super low guy, to nobody's surprise, Jesus Sanchez. Uh, <laughs> but any thoughts on uh, Reynolds or or Sanchez? I like Reynolds a lot. I think he, he falls into that uh, bucket that we're talking about of just kind of not flashy, but you put them on your roster and you're just generating value for years. Um, and those are sort of the unsung heroes of, of like championship teams right. where you're, you're not getting, it's not the 40 home run guy or whatever that you have to pay uh, through the nose for. It's just this person that's getting 25 home runs, 10 stolen bases, high OBP that just anchors your, your, your roster. Uh, so I like Brian Reynolds a lot. I do think he's undervalued in some ways, and I do think he's overvalued in some ways. Um, Jesus Sanchez, I, I like that call too. Uh, Matt Eddy on Twitter yesterday asked uh, who to take, who would you take? It was a poll uh, in an OBP league, Austin Hayes, Jesus Sanchez, or Jake Fraley. And I think I, I still go Jesus Sanchez. I know his AB, uh, OBP isn't that great. Uh, same with Hayes, but he's younger and just the power is so good. I think I would still go Jesus Sanchez. It's a good question. Um, I get the Fraley side too, higher OPP, but he's got platoon splits. So it's a, kind of there's each of them have warts. But I like Jesus Sanchez too. Um, do you think he's going to, how many plate appearances do you think he'll get this year? <laughs> well, look, I'll, I mean, <laughs> and this is sort of where like, you know, it's almost kind of, uh, it's almost useless to sort of project Jesus Sanchez and plug it into your, um, you know, your value generator as like, this is what he's worth because I've projected him for this. You know, he's, he's either going to be good or he's going to suck. And if he's good, he's going to play a lot. And if he sucks, he's not going to play a lot. It's just a, you know, you're taking a big swing on a guy that's got 35 homer power and is young and no one's going to get in the way of him playing if he's performing. Uh so, you know, I, projecting the plate appearances on him, it's just sort of, you know, is he, it's like, is he going to be good? 
uh, I think there's a better chance that he that it clicks for him this season than the market is pricing in, I guess, is the way I would phrase that. So if you're on the clock and you're Highlander FYPD and Cooper Jerpy's there, but also Jesus Sanchez. Oh man, I would I would hammer Sanchez. If oh, anyone really? in the yeah. Highlander is listening and has Jesus <laughs> Sanchez and wants to offer him for my 10th pick here, uh, do that all day long. Um, I guess it's true. You did say young outfielders that, that would play would probably go high. Yeah, I mean, the the highest default young-ish outfielder in the Fantrax player pool right now is Kyle Isbell with uh, Cal Mitchell and Nolan Jones coming up behind him. So, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, pitchers. Now, this one, um, I'll be honest. Like, I didn't see a ton of value in the top 50 or so starting pitchers just because that's not, those aren't the type of guys I'm generally going after uh, at cost. Like I, I, I want to acquire my pitchers before they've sort of reached the top of the mountain. Um, so one guy who stood out to me is David Peterson with the Mets. And uh, I think it's just, uh, you know, maybe – and there, there's some flaws with like dynasty ADP because you have people who are just sort of living in the moment. And um, a guy like David Peterson maybe doesn't get properly valued in these uh, relative to how he might in a, in a real league with, with cash on the line. But uh, I just look at that rotation and someone's going to get hurt at some point. And even if they don't, like he might just be one of their five best guys at some point. So, uh, kind of taking a long view with Peterson and assuming that he's going to be a permanent part of a rotation sooner than later, even if it's not right at the start of the season. Yeah, I like David Peterson a lot. Um, same question: Would you take him or Cooper Jerby in that in that draft? Oh yeah, I mean, all these are going to go to the the big leaguer. Really. Okay, uh, I'll do the same exercise and tell you the top starting pitchers available. Uh, Cole Irvin, Kyle Freeland, Jordan Lyles. So <laughs> yeah, that'd be Peterson. I'll take Peterson. I think my problem with with Peterson is the leagues I play in has a seven man bench, and because he's not minors eligible, you kind of have to clog that spot. Um, and if he's in the bullpen, I mean, like there are better bullpen options, like my uh, middle in, middle reliever options that you mm-hmm. I'd rather play um, week to week. So it's hard. Just for me, that's just my the the way I look at him. I totally think he will have a sub four ERA if he's in the rotation and uh, is a is excellent value. I had him a couple times in TGFBI last year, um, so I do have a soft spot for him. I do think he's good. It's just it's hard to to clog up a, a spot for him unless you have a big bench and you can you can kind of keep him there. And the and before you say your guy, like that gets back to sort of the complexities of different dynasty leagues because there's just different and there's all kinds of scoring formats people have you know your seven man benches i assume there's like minors spots and then seven man benches um but i don't i don't play in leagues like that necessarily so that didn't factor into my valuation but i also i play in other leagues where there's sort of a 
K over walk component or just other categories that make a lot of these sort of fringe starting pitchers not that valuable at all. Um, so uh, it is very league dependent and you uh, listening at home definitely know better than we do how starting pitchers are valued in your league. But uh, all right, I'll, I'll turn the floor back over to you. Who's your, who's your starting pitcher? <laughs> no, but that's a huge point. Same thing where I was talking about the up and down the ladder. Like if you're not a, a trader who's active or don't have the time to be active, then don't listen to me at all. Like you have to know your league. You have to know your strengths, your weaknesses, your risk profiles, your league mates, their tendencies, all that stuff. So yeah, totally agree. And I apologize that I was kind of oh, no, no, focused I, on my style of league. <laughs> So my my pick, this one's for fellow Highlander Drew Wheeler, uh, oh. ex-colleague at Prospects Live. Um, he's been a, it's not Jake Eater, it's Ken Waldachuk. Oh. So he, I took him in our BA mock that we're going to be talking about later uh, tonight. Um, I traded for him in another Dynasty League. I just, he, I think because he's on the A's and is quote-unquote not expected to get wins, he gets downgraded, but his projections are excellent. He, he has like a, a 24% K rate at age 25, which is the same or higher than Alec Manoa, Julio Urias, Joe Musgrove. Strikeouts are important. Strikeouts are a category. They're also a, a very good indicator of you know longevity in the league and, and ERA. They're correlated. I have him peaking at like a 3.6, 3.7 ERA. Um so yeah, he may not get wins, but he's going to be like an Erod, Sean Manaya type. Again, one of these sort of like unsung heroes that just give you innings, give you strikeouts, get the occasional win. Like Frankie Montas, like these guys were being drafted. Chris Bassett, even though they're on the Athletics, like they add value. They're not expensive, and I think they're they're sort of under under the radar because their perceived value is they're just like a an arm that you throw in the back end of your rotation. But I think he's, he's valuable. That's, that's interesting. Cause that's, uh, that's the first guy you've said who I'm just not that high on at all. Um, and it's, you know, it's partly the wins, but like, I just don't, I don't think the stuff is, I don't think the stuff is as good as his strikeout rates in the minors would lead people to believe. He's actually kind of a, a classic. Um, the redraft crowd is actually higher on Ken Waldachuk than the dynasty crowd is because the redraft crowd just looks at the stats and the opportunity and, you know, we're off to the races. But I think a lot of people in dynasty just know that he kind of came up with, I don't know, um, you know, the, the changeup. It, like a lot of a lot of lefties with good changeups just put up way better numbers in the minors than they can in the majors, um, and you're not saying that he's going to put up the numbers he did in the minors, but um, yeah, I'm just I'm a little I'm a little off while the chuck, but that's that's interesting. I'll have to take a deeper deeper look at him maybe. He's got four pitches. They all grade out higher than average on on my grades. I've seen other pitch models where he's got very high grades as well. Um, so yeah. I take take a deeper look there, James. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will. Um, and that's a that's a great call uh, because you could probably, I mean, it might be a great call, but in terms of being able to get a guy for cheap, it's a great call because I think you could get Waldachuk for quite cheap. Uh, 
Okay, uh, relief pitcher. We are going to do relief pitcher quick. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to throw out a few names. Uh, I think Clay Holmes is a guy that I obviously like. Um, that, that's kind of an upside play. Uh, per Chris's ADP, he was going later than Bednar and Kenley and John Duran, and uh, definitely take him over those guys. Uh, I also think poking around a little on Liam Hendricks, is something I would consider. Uh, again, I mean, this is, this is mock ADP, so there's nothing fun about taking a guy like Liam Hendricks in a mock, uh, but uh, I have no idea if he's actually going to come back and be good, but I, I think it's more likely than not that he eventually does come back and is good. And then uh, Tanner Houck, uh, I just he's out of sight, out of mind, because they have Kenley and they don't have a spot for him in the rotation. I just think he's a really good pitcher and will provide value in, in some form. Uh, over the next two years. Um, so those are my three, but uh, who's, who's your reliever to target? Uh, I, I don't like targeting relievers in, in dynasty and I don't like trading for them. I don't like using draft capital on them either, but I, you, I went, are you fab only? Uh, I, I, I lean fab only. Um, I, I have been guilty of taking like the Corey Kniebel's or, you know, Alex Lang, like you're saying in, in FYPDs. Um, if I'm in a, a win now kind of competitive year, I have done that. I, I, I often regret it. Um, but yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to invest in relief pitchers, but if you got class a, or if you've got like Edward Diaz, it's just like, it's just money. And it just, you don't have to think about it for years. Um, so I went with, uh, I went off book, I guess I went with Ben Joyce, of uh, the angels. Um, I'm, sure most of your listeners have seen like the 102 mile an hour fastballs on uh, on twitter and his slider is like excellent as well by stuff plus so he's got two great pitches um angels don't have a reliever a closer right now um if you look at zips projections how they do like the three-year window they he has dave Zimb- uh dan zaborski has them at in 2025 with a 115 whip and a 335 ERA at age 24. So if you're doing that, like that's, that's, you're going to be the closer, probably the angels. Um, just the whip is just so good. And that's at age 24. So he'll even better by 27. <clears throat> so like the way we kind of like Andres Munoz or these young guys, Joan Duran, um, I think Ben Joyce could be that. Will I invest in Ben Joyce? Would I trade for Ben Joyce? Uh, not as a primary target. I would ask for him to be thrown in if he's if he's on a team right now, or uh, pick him in FYPD later. Um, but I just think he's uh, he's probably going to be worth more in three years than we're we're drafting him or, or trading for him now, or the way we're valuing him now. I love that call. Uh, <laughs> ben Joyce is going to be a in a uh, kind of a, a research article project I'm working on right now, uh, will feature Ben Joyce uh, along with many other uh, pitchers. But um, keep an eye out for that uh, probably next week sometime. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's honestly that's what the people come here for. They want they want the Ben Joyce. Uh, they want the next Andres Munoz. Um, so that's that's a better. Better name to throw out than my my big leaguers who you'd actually have to give something up for in, in a trade. Um, 
Is Ben Joyce rostered in your leagues? I don't think so. I think he's available in all of them. Yeah. 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 So you wouldn't, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's someone, you know, I don't definitely don't think he's someone you should have to trade for in the vast majority of dynasty leagues. Um, have you, do you recall like kind of uh, any big hits on relievers in your dynasty leagues, like guys that you keep for a while, um, but you've gotten off, off fab? Uh, not me personally. I wanted to get Edwin Diaz when he was on Seattle and uh, Andrew McQuiston in my league. Shout out to him. Grabbed him like that week I was I was considering it. Um, so he obviously that that's hit and uh, he's been Big on hit. his huge hit. We had Sir Anthony Dominguez and then uh, I dropped him when he got it's Tommy John. I think it was. Um, I have him again, and you know there's a chance he could be he could be valuable. But there, there aren't really these long long term relievers that that last a while. Like it's it's very difficult. I'm one of the biggest. Uh, I don't even know if it was. I don't even. I still don't think it was bad process necessarily. But I dropped Emmanuel Classe in a bunch of dynasty leagues uh, when he got that uh, suspension. And uh, still think that was the right thing to do, but um, I I definitely regret that. I mean, if you <clears throat> if you have an Emmanuel Classe or Edwin Diaz in Dynasty, who you just didn't give up anything for, in all likelihood, if you picked them up, it's just such a massive win. Um, all right, so Dylan's been really generous generous with his time. Uh, Going to get you out of here in a second, but first we're going to do round 21 uh, NFBC Draft Champions ADP. Uh, Dylan and I will both go uh, through and pick one player with a round 21 Draft Champions ADP that we're buying and one that we are fading at that price. And I will list off the players uh, who we'll be choosing from. Uh, Sean Manaya, Garrett Mitchell, Brendan Donovan, Dylan Carlson, Ross Stripling, Taylor Rogers, Taiwan Walker, Masataka Yoshida, Juan Yepes, Martin Perez, Oswaldo Cabrera, Hayden Wesneski, Jose Siri, Bo Naylor, and Cal Quantrill. So, uh, Dylan, who are you buying from these round 21 guys? So, I went with Dylan Carlson. I, uh, I have a soft spot for Dylan Carlson. I have him in a bunch of leagues. I took him in the, in the Clegg mock. I took him in the BA mock. Um, one thing I've incorporated into my redraft prep this year is uh, sort of the 80%, 20% tile, uh, somehow incorporating that into the projection. And he has a chance, obviously, of breaking out, higher chance of breaking out than, than collapsing. Um, so I have him as the guy I would want out of this group. How do you see uh, how do you see that outfield shaking out uh, in the first couple months? Like, who do you think's uh, the odd man out? Uh, I kind of think they'll all play <laughs> equally. So, I mean, Tyler O'Neill may get injured. Uh, He's doing yoga now. How could he get injured? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So he won't get injured. <laughs> <laughs> um i i just think they're gonna they're gonna try to kind of have it yeah i don't think some one person is gonna be 
like benched and only play, you know, once every four games. I think they're going to have a kind of equal opportunity, which maybe is bad for all of them. Um, I just, this appeal to authority that you mentioned before, like the fact that they didn't really want to trade him for Soto, like that is a boost of confidence to me. Um, and I just, I've always liked Carlson. I, I like everything about him. And he's one of these guys that are just solid, you know, 20 home runs, 10 sold bases, kind of the expectation, reasonably good BA, reasonably good OBP. Um, he's still young and on a good team, will be in a good lineup. Maybe he won't hit as high in the lineup, but I just think that like over the next few years, he, he'll be good. So I know we're talking redraft here, but I just think he has the, you know, he has a chance to, to kind of break out in quotes this year. Do you think the breakout kind of looks like a sort of like a good Andrew Benintendi season, that type of thing? Uh, I'm hoping better than that, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, like 25 home runs and everyone, all the stuff about he can't barrel, he has terrible contact quality. Everyone forgets about that because he hit 25 home runs and um, you know, the Cardinals are having a good season. So he's kind of in the, in the public consciousness that that's the type of thing I expect. Or hopefully yeah, for, I guess. That would be a, that would be quite a breakout. Uh, Twenty five homers from Carlson. Um, yeah, I hadn't really. I'll be honest, I haven't really even considered twenty five homers as a possibility for him, just based on the, like what you said, like how the barrel rate, the hard hit rate. Um, but you think it, you think it's in there? Well, I think before last year we thought he could hit twenty home runs. I think, and you can't throw out last year, but like, it's not that he's become a totally different person than we thought maybe. And so I think if he, if we thought he could be 20 home runs before he probably could be 20 home runs again. And so a breakout's 25. That's my logic. Nice. <laughs> All right. My, uh, I'm going to go from the same team there and I'm not really looking for a breakout, but uh, this is draft champions ADP. And I think Brendan Donovan is a fantastic guy to get in draft champions, uh, draft and hold format. He has the, you know, the perfect middle corner outfield eligibility going on. Um, he had the 12th lowest O swing in the majors uh, as a rookie. I think he at the very least hits in a good spot against righties and he could play every day due to his, uh, ability to kind of move around. So I like Donovan there. Um, any thoughts on him or should we move on? To... I, I like him. I, I had him in TGFBI last year. So I, I was like every day seeing him. They are definitely picking him over Gorman. Um, I've traded for him in a league, Dynasty League. I picked him in the two mocks as well. So nice. like he's, you know, he's kind of like a Luis Arias type of guy, high batting average-ish, high OBP for sure. Not much in the in power and speed, but um, a, a good contributor, an under an undervalued contributor, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, Arias is, is definitely sort of the idea there. Uh, all right, my fade here is Martin Perez. Uh, you know, in in his breakout year, like the big year that. Came out of nowhere. That was awesome. He had a one-two-six whip, and every projection system has him for at least a one-three-three whip this year. Uh, maybe he's just better, and they don't realize that. And he's going to have another 
whip in the mid twos, one twos, but uh, just don't, I don't like uh, taking an old pitcher that is a good bet to have a whip over one three. Um, so that's that's my pick. Uh, who's your guy? Yeah, same same kind of idea. Taiwan Walker, um, a whip over one thirty. He's on the Phillies now, right? So the defense is going to be worse. <laughs> yep. um, and when you're getting, if you're getting innings and you have a high whip, it's just bad on your team. Like it just, yeah. it's hard to overcome. So I don't like the volume plays where you're getting crushed in the RA or whip, obviously. Um, but I just think that they're way worse. It has a huge, a bigger effect on your team than people think. Yes. Like if you always look at the end of season, uh, like the dollar values earned, it's like the zero to two dollar guys are like the middle relievers and you're all negative for like the German Marquez and all those guys. Um, so I, I always avoid them. So it was between Perez Walker, even Quantrill for me. Um, yeah. He always, he always uh, outperforms his, his peripherals Quantrill. Um, and maybe I'm a sucker for thinking that one day it's going to be, it's going to go the other way. But then like people like Kyle Hendricks or whatever, keep, confounding me um so yeah it's like one of those pictures i i just those are the guys i don't like a lot of innings and bad bad peripherals expected peripherals yep uh we're in full agreement there uh all right dylan uh i'm gonna be seeing you tonight um for the the ba pod with uh jeff and carlos and i'm sure some other people but uh anything you want to plug before we let you go the BA Fantasy Summit, first annual BA Fantasy Summit, February 25th. Uh, you're obviously a contributor there. Great panelists. The who's who, basically, of panelists. Um, Saturday, the February 25th. So I think if you're anybody in the fantasy uh, realm, you, you should tune in and, and see some great insights. Yes, the Baseball America Fantasy Summit. Can't wait. Uh Thanks so much for joining me, Dylan. This has been the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax. And uh, I'll be back with another episode next Wednesday. Cheers.